Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giants fans. Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trina. Happy to be with you. It is Wednesday. It is hump day. And here in the world of the Locked On Podcast, it is crossover Wednesday. So coming up on segments two and three of the program, Joe Marino, host of Locked On Bills, will join me and we will break down our respective teams. So you can catch his podcast, Locked On Bills. And he does a fantastic job. So do check him out if you get a chance. Also on the program is Locked On Steelers co-host Chris Carter. No, no relation to the famous wide receiver, the Hall of Fame wide receiver, but a really good football analyst. Nonetheless, Chris Carter is going to tell us a little bit about Tuzar Skipper, the new linebacker that the Giants picked up off waivers from the Pittsburgh Steelers. That will be segment one of the program. So in fact, we're going to just jump right in and start that interview with Chris Carter. I'm joined by Christopher Carter. He is the host or one of the hosts of the Lock on Steelers podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is great. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So Chris is going to uh, provide some information about the Giants' newest linebacker, Tuzer Skipper. Uh, Chris, what can you tell us about Skipper? Well, a few things. Uh, I'll tell you right now. First off the bat, he was the darling of training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fan-wise, it was on the day of the final cut, Every there was literally a Skipper watch going around on social media everyone wondering if he would make the team because he was so impressive in training camp and in the preseason. The Steelers, they're known for having their linebackers, and they've been looking for who's going to be that next young edge rusher that's going to you know, push with T.J. Watt for the future. And Skipper looked like that in, in preseason. He led all NFL linebackers, all NFL defensive players in this preseason with five sacks throughout the game, throughout all the games. He had a sack in every single game that he played in, and he didn't get to play in you know all throughout all of them. They were having a, a solid rotation of of their edge rushers. And what was impressive about Skipper was you know not just the pass rushing, but also stopping people on on you know in, on the run game. He would there was there were there was one play against the Titans where the Titans threw one tight end at him. He shed that away. They threw another tight end at him. He shed that away, and then he tackled the running back in the backfield. He just he's very physical. And he works very hard. He's another Mac player. The Steelers had nine going into this training camp. Uh, but he was a guy, when he initially made the 53-man roster, there was a big sigh of relief from Steeler fans because everyone's thinking like, hey, maybe he can be the guy. Steelers fans are still uh, romantic about how James Harrison went from the practice squad to being a superstar for the team and leading the, the organization in sacks and all their history. Um, but, you know, Skipper was a guy that, his biggest problem with the Steelers was there were he was the tenth linebacker on the start on on the fifty three man roster, so that led to a lot of the decisions of why he got cut. It sounds like you know, given how much talent he had, I mean, you would have thought that they would find a spot for him. So it sounds like you're surprised in a way that he was cut. Um, a, a little surprised, but more so, I guess, as an analyst, disappointed as far as how. They, how they, they devied up their, devied up their roster. To explain why they let him go, it is actually relevant, funny enough, to Antonio Brown. 
when Antonio Brown was released by the Raiders, they had a hole in their depth chart. Now, everyone is moving up, but they needed a fifth receiver to bottom out their receiver depth chart. And the Steelers had a guy on their practice squad, Johnny Holton, who's a former Raider, that, that was that, that, of course, he had experience with the team. He was probably going to be their primary target to go grab. So they took a gamble. They said, hey, we'll cut Tazar Skipper. He's our 10th linebacker. We weren't going to use him against the Patriots anyway. Um, we'll bring up Johnny, Johnny Holton because of his, he's fast and maybe they can use him in the return game. And he did get a total of 12 snaps. And that, that way they'll hope that Cesar Skipper could survive one, one weekend of being on the waiver wire and then bring him back the next week. But that didn't happen because the Giants picked him up. And I think the Giants made a great move in doing that because he's, he's, he's very cheap. He's a rookie. He's, he's going to, you know, he's a he's undrafted free agent, you know, so you could pay him very little, but um, he has such a huge upside. And the thing is, is that Holton's in his late twenties and he kind of is what he's going to be. You know, he's not a sure handed guy. He's fast and he's exciting when he gets the, when he runs a deep route, but Tazar Skipper looks like the, you know, the truth of what you want in a rookie undrafted free agent prospect as an edge rusher and as an edge defender. He does a lot of things right. I think that the Steelers are going to regret this, um, you know, if, if, if he ends up staying with the Giants. I think he does have a future in this league. We see the pass rush stats. And, and uh, what about the run? How is he against the run? He's extremely physical. And here's the thing. So Ola Adini is the other edge rusher that he was big in last year's training camp and this year's training camp. And, and he made his name because he was a pass rusher. But Ola Adini's problem was he couldn't stop the run too consistently. He was unsure of how to use his hands in certain situations. All those problems are gone with Skipper. You look at the way, you look at the way that he was able to take on people. I, you know, as I'm, I'm big on technique. When you're an edge guy, you need to keep use your inside hand to keep the blocker to keep the blocker who's on you engaged. But make sure you're keeping your outside hand free so that when the running back comes your way, you're able to turn him at least turn him back inside. And that's what Skipper did a lot really well. But so many times, also, he didn't just use his inside hand to, to maintain leverage. He would blow up offensive tackles and tight ends and fullbacks with with, with his with his initial rush to maintain the run. Um, there's a lot that's going to have to come into it when it comes to schemations and learning how to do it out of di- against different formations and how offenses will try to trick you and trap you uh, on the edge. Those type of things Skipper will still need to learn. But as far as the physical standpoint and how you have to defend the run as a, as a guy on the edge, he checked all my boxes. And, and not just in the preseason game, but in training camp. I saw him go up against Matt Filer, who's the starting right tackle for the Steelers right now. And he gave him a hard time, you know, in, on, in practice. There, I think that this guy, uh, Skipper, ha- has a really good chance to, to, to work. If, you, if he's given the opportunity to show what he has, the problem is every team, they have their agenda, they have the guys that they like at the top of their depth chart. He's going to need to buy his time and hope that at some point, you know, you know not rooting for an injury, but when someone gets injured and he gets the call that he makes some of those splash plays, that's how James Harrison made it in the, in the mid-2000s, uh, and, he, and he impressed the Steelers and became their guy. Um, and I thought that was, I thought that was how he was going to make his name known for the Steelers this time around because uh, right now it's T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, and Anthony Ciccolo, and Adini is recovering from an injury. So they had four guys at edge, but Skipper, honestly, I felt like if he had stayed in Pittsburgh, he would have surpassed Adini and maybe even Ciccolo next year. Not this year because Ciccolo is – he knows this. He knows the system, and he's a special teams guy, so he was going to be relevant. But I think with Skipper's skills, 
if he had continued to grow, he might have been a player that the Steelers would never have let go of. So in terms of how Giant fans might expect this guy to be deployed, what what do you think is realistic? You know, obviously he's coming over, he's got to learn a new system, or maybe not a new system per se, but, you know, new verbiage and whatnot. Where do you think he can make the, the biggest impact in this, his first opportunity with the Giants that's coming up on Sunday? So here's the thing with the Giants is that you, you, you're going you're not going to have him, of course, starting out there. You're going to want him for your fresh legs team because every edge group, you know, is gonna is gonna need time because you, you you're going to want those guys fresh. And, and when the Giants have been at their best, they've had a rotation of a front four or just a defensive front that can get after you in the fourth quarter. But how you keep that rotation ready for the fourth quarter is have a good rotation of guys they're going to come in and spell them throughout the game so that their legs are fresh and that when it's fourth quarter time and the offensive tackles are are dropping back into their pass and they're getting tired your guys are steaming are, are bullying people uh, that's something that i think that the t- giants at their best did did really well Skipper's going to be one of those guys that's the spell guy he comes in, in the middle of the game and he gives your guys a break but those are often the times when teams look to uh, opposing offenses look to capitalize on your defense. Hey, you know, oh, that's the that's the second string guy out there. Let's pull a guard. Let's pull a guard and get a and get a lead block on him and try to seal him to the inside, and that'll give our running back an easy path off tackle. Those are the things that I think Skipper can impress on when he's spelling, getting those opportunities in the middle of the game, second quarter, third quarter, maybe even fourth quarter when they need when those guys need, need a breather. Those are the times I think he can step up. If he's able to shut down the run and occasionally get after the passer and make those kind of sacks when he's being spelled into the game, those are the type of things coaches will see on film and be like, "Atta boy," and give him a pat on the back of the helmet and think, all right, now we need to work this guy in because he's actually making plays. I think he does have that potential. If he, if, and now the thing is, of course, Skipper didn't really get a chance to do this much against you know starters and, and the higher quality players that he's going to face. In it, when he's when he's playing on Sundays in the NFL during the regular season, so that remains to be seen. And I'm not saying he's the next James Harrison, and he's absolutely that guy. But I have a, he checked a lot of my boxes for an undrafted guy that comes into training camp and does all those things well. Now it's just about capitalize him capitalizing on the limited opportunities he's going to get. Chris, certainly the Steelers are known for developing linebackers over the year. They have some great ones, including ones in the Hall of Fame. It sounds like they had another one in development here who, you know, unfortunately they couldn't keep. And now he lands up with the Giants, who's another team well known for their linebacker history. Certainly. I mean, I mean, they got one of the best they ever, ever in Lawrence Taylor. Uh, but uh, when you look at the, I think it's just, it was really bad timing for, uh, for, for Skipper. And there's another guy that's on the, the Steelers practice squad, Robert Spillane, who I also thought it was really bad timing for. But last year, the Steelers only could keep three outside linebackers going into the uh, going going into the 53-man roster. And, and their, their inside linebackers weren't that impressive. But this year, they drafted Devin Bush. They signed Mark Barron. They weren't letting go of Vince Williams. Tyler Matikiewicz, who isn't all that impressive from scrimmage is a special teams ace for them. And then you had your, and, and then you had your fifth round draft pick Ulysses Gilbert, who was, was a really good cover guy in, in preseason. They were also going to protect him. So that meant five inside linebackers this year. And, you know, and four of them were guys that you're thinking, Hey, they can help against coverage in the middle of the field. And then with your edge rushers, you had TJ Watt, who's an all a, a, a pro bowl guy. And you think he's going to continue ascend. You had Bud Dupree, who's going to be your starter. You had Anthony Ciccolo. You had Ola Adini, who had was on his second year with the team and looking like maybe he's going to come around this year. So, 
that those are nine players right there. Skipper made a tenth. And, you know, when you're thinking about keeping 10 linebackers on your roster, when you've got safety to worry about and how many wide receivers you want to keep and how many reserve offensive linemen, that's just a hard-pressed decision you got to make. I, certainly they have a lot of prospects that they're really excited about at linebacker right now. And Skipper would have been another one, but it's just I think it was just, you know, if, it, if he had come last year, he'd, be, he'd have made the team and never been pushed off the roster. But it's just the unfortunate timing. They, have, they brought in a lot of young talent at linebacker and new talent at linebacker, especially with Barron, that they were like, you know what, we've got to work these guys into our roster. Skipper's just going to have to be some collateral damage. They, I'm sure they hope that they could get him back because as soon as the Giants got Skipper, the Steelers went and picked up J. Roan Elliott and signed him to the to the to the to the, to the 53 man roster, and he was a, he was probably the next edge rusher because he had a sack and a forced fumble that he returned for a touchdown in the final game. That to me, J. Roan Elliott to them, they did not value him above Skip, Skipper at all in this in this preseason. That to me was a sign that yeah, the Giants got us. They, they, they knew that that was the guy, so we just got to bring back this edge rusher. And now they have 10 linebackers again. It's just unfortunate for the Steelers that 10th guy is not Skipper. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, after listening to you, I'm excited to see what this young man brings to the table. It sounds like he's going to get some special teams work. Like you said, maybe some late game snaps until he gets up to speed on the playbook a little bit. You know, sounds like he's going to have a limited role. And it just sounds like the Giants really got themselves, you know, a, a diamond in the rough here. They, it's certainly a chance to be. And again, it's not a guarantee, but that's what you, that's what a lot of these guys are. You throw darts at a dartboard and you hope you hit the right one. It just seems like Skipper, he checks off a lot of the early boxes. Now, there are plenty of players that check off those early boxes uh, and you, you get really excited about and then they just flatten out and don't become anything. Uh, you know, Baron Batch is a guy that was really exciting a lot of people at running back for, year, for, the, for a, a training camp or two for the Steelers and then he fell off the, fell off the horse. Uh, but you know, that's, uh, you know, that, that, there's a lot of things to be excited about. So absolutely, Giants fans, you know, don't don't go out and get a Tuzar Skipper jersey like some Steelers fans did, and they look really silly right now on social media. But definitely keep your eye on him, and maybe that will be a guy in two or three years if he's still with the team that you're going to be like, hey, I remember when he came to the team, and he, he came up, he didn't have anything, he was an undrafted free agent, and now he's starting. That's the kind of guy I think he could develop into. Definitely something to be excited about, Patricia. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the program, telling us about Tuzar Skipper. Giant fans, stay with us. We'll be right back with the crossover segment, Giants versus Bills, featuring Joe Marino of Locked On Bills. The Locked On Giants podcast is brought to you in part by BlueChew.com. Visit BlueChew.com and enter promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first shipment for only $5 shipping and handling. That's bluechew.com. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, now joined by Patricia Trena from the Locked On Giants podcast to get the Giants perspective on the week two matchup between the Buffalo Bills and New York Giants. Patty, welcome. Good to be with you. Joe, it's a pleasure. Looking forward to talking some football with you today and uh, week two already at the NFL season. Yeah, you got to enjoy these NFL Sundays because they're gone before we know it. Let's talk about the Giants. From the outside perspective, looking at the Giants, I don't think there's a lot of believers in Dave Gettleman and the, the direction of the organization right now. What's the consensus of the fan base in terms of their belief in the direction of the Giants? Well, you know, it's interesting, Joe, because 
you know, people started to kind of come around after criticizing Dave Gettleman and questioning why he got rid of so much talent. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. was traded. Olivier Vernon was traded. Um, going back even before that, they let Devon Kennard, who currently leads the league in sacks. He walked away in free agency. Um, Landon Collins went down the I-95 to Washington and so on and so forth. The, the list seems endless. So people started to come around after questioning why he's letting so much talent go out the door. But after the Dallas debacle, now people are are back to wondering what the heck the Giants are trying to do. You know, the Giants put such a big emphasis on cleaning out the locker room culture. Well, culture is only part of it, but, you know, that will only take you so far. And Giant fans are getting a little restless, especially when we see the same results happening in a different year. So the fan base is understandably impatient. They are understandably disappointed and, and angry. And, uh, uh, if the Giants don't turn it around soon, it's going to be another long, long season. Well, I'm sure there's some optimism for the home opener this week against the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills last year took a quarterback in the top 10 that was pretty controversial. And this year, the Giants did the same in Daniel Jones. And I think everybody kind of wants to know, when does he take over for Eli Manning, could it be this week? What's the, uh, the the belief in terms of when Daniel Jones becomes a franchise quarterback? Well, that question has been raised seemingly every day of every week of the last several weeks. <laughs> um, Daniel Jones is, I, I think he has made a believer out of some of the skeptics that initially weren't happy with the picks. The pick, rather. Um, there were some famous videos on YouTube that went viral of, of Giant fans just absolutely freaking out when the Giants picked Daniel Jones ahead of Josh Allen out of Kentucky, given the need for the pass rush. But Daniel Jones, through his play in the preseason, and even going back before that, has made believers out of both the media and the fans. Now, as far as when he's going to get into a game, we saw him do some mop-up duty the last drive of the Dallas. Dallas game, you know, it was like a minute and 43 seconds left. So he, he was able to take that drive, but as far as starting and just, you know, permanently taking over for Eli Manning, Pat Shermer, Dave Gettleman, and John Mara have all said that as long as the giants are in the hunt for a playoff berth, it's Eli's job to lose. Now, if Eli absolutely wets the bed, um, just doesn't get it going and it is determined that he is the reason for the losses, I think you will see him sooner. But for people looking for me to, you know, put a week, you know, what week will we see Daniel Jones? That's kind of hard to do right now because, you know, you look at the loss against Dallas, for example, and people are already screaming, I'll put Daniel Jones in. Well, Daniel Jones wasn't the prop. Uh, I'm sorry, the quarterback wasn't the problem last week against Dallas. The defense was more or less the problem. But, you know, people are going to look for any kind of spark, any kind of change. And, you know, meanwhile, Pat Shermer, who will make that decision, has basically said, I'm going to do it when I feel this kid is ready. And he's not, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, the kid is not fully ready yet to go in there. But when he is, he'll go in. 
You know, I've kind of taken my own look at the Giants' schedule, and I try to think to myself, well, when would it make sense for Daniel Jones to take over? And it wouldn't be this week, not against the Bills. The Bills have the number one pass defense in the NFL last year. Uh, They're coming off nine consecutive games of limiting passers to under 210 yards. I mean, it's an exceptional secondary. And I would not put my rookie quarterback for his first game against the best secondary in football, in my opinion, or at least the best collective group of, of secondary players that perform the best, right? They may not have the best individual players at every single position, but they're very good in terms of stopping teams from passing the football. I look over the schedule and I see week six, Thursday night at the New England Patriots. I'm not playing them in that game, right? There's no chance of putting Daniel Jones out there against Bill Belichick. But I do see the Arizona Cardinals in week seven at home at MetLife Stadium. To me, that's the logical spot. You avoid Buffalo. You avoid Minnesota in week five. Another good defense. Mike Zimmer is going to be unrelenting on a rookie quarterback. You don't want to put him against Belichick in week six. To me, that that friendly opportunity comes in week seven against Arizona. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's a possibility, certainly, especially if the Giants get off to a, a very bad start, if they don't win, you know, the next several weeks. But uh, but again, I think as long as they are in the playoff hunt, you know, they're it's Eli Manning's job. Now, you know, the, the, the caveat, like you said, is if Eli Manning just goes as the team goes, which, you know, has been the case of late then maybe you have to look and, and make that change. If you remember back in 2004, Eli's rookie season, the Giants were still in the thick of a playoff hunt, and Tom Coughlin, who was the head coach at the time, decided to pull the plug on Kurt Warner, who was who started that season, and put the rookie in, in being Eli Manning at the time, and, and get him some experience. So, you know, I don't know if Pat Shermer is necessarily going to follow that same plan and say, okay, you know what? I'm just waiting for the ideal opportunity. But if I had to take a guess, I do. I will say this. I do think at some point this year we will see Daniel Jones starting games and we will see that passing of the torch. But I, I just, you know, based on everything they've said, and of course this is subject to change, I think they're going to stick with Eli for as long as they're in that playoff hunt because there is pressure on them to win, especially after they turned over the roster, they brought in their own guys, they cleaned up the culture, all the things they've been talking about. And and uh, I don't know that they would be willing to necessarily turn the reins over to a rookie quarterback who, you know, is still trying to get regular season experience. And we're talking meaningful re- regular season experience with a playoff berth on the line. But we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. One of my favorite things about talking to other analysts from other teams is getting their perspective on the Bills. And so let's focus in on this matchup now. When you consider the Bills and Giants matching up with each other, are there any areas on on the Giants side when you're looking at the Bills that that stand out to you in terms of potential advantages for the Giants? I think I would have to go to the offense, and I'm going to put an asterisk here because based on what we saw last week. The two advantages that I like on the Giants, if they are used properly, that's the asterisk. Running back Saquon Barkley and tight end Evan Ingram in the passing game. All right. Now, you mentioned that the Bills had the number one pass defense. I think if you get Saquon Barkley out in space and not just on these stupid little checkdowns that he's been, you know, getting lately, um, I think he can create some nice mismatches for the Giants in the passing game. 
same thing with Evan Ingram. Last week, for for whatever the reason, the Giants kept Evan Ingram basically in the short to maybe intermediate uh, range for passes. Get these guys down the field. Take some shots down the field because they create mismatches. We saw it in the spring. We saw it in the summer during training camp, but yet for whatever the reason, we don't see it in the games. And it's, and it's a source of frustration. It's a big source of, of topic uh, this week in conversation amongst analysts, writers, fans, why the Giants don't use these guys better than what they have been. And, and that's where I think New York can have the advantage if Pat Shermer, who is the play caller, in addition to the head coach, decides to maybe open it up a little bit and throw caution to the wind. Is it an arm strength thing with Eli Manning? I know he's declining with some of his physical traits. Is is it is that what's limiting the the shots down the field, or do you think it is just a a philosophy type thing and maybe some concerns about what that could lead to? I don't think it's an arm strength thing because we we saw in the summer and also in the spring Eli can make those throws. Now, the problem that I saw in the Dallas game is if you're asking Eli Manning to to execute a lot of rollouts, that's not his strength. His strength is to drop back, set his feet, and fire. He's a gunslinger. So they're asking him to do things that don't necessarily play into his strength. And I just question whether or not that's hurting him in the long run. Now, with that said... Eli is also declined in in such a way that, you know, he's not vintage Eli. He's not the quarterback who can load the team on his shoulders and rise above. He basically becomes a victim, if you will, of his supporting cast. So in other words, if his supporting cast is playing well, he generally plays well. If they're not playing well, then his performance kind of matches it. So I just would like to see the Giants, you know, and, and, you know this, Joe. Coaches always say players are interchangeable. There should be no drop-off, next man up, etc. I never bought that explanation because we would all have to be robots for players to be interchangeable. Everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think some of what Shermer is asking Eli to do is not necessarily playing to his strengths. Well, that's a concern in and of itself. I feel like we've had a lot of negative talks right uh, so far, Patricia. Let's let's see if we can find some strengths here with this Giants team. And uh, when you do look at it, Ingram and Barkley certainly stand out as dynamic playmakers that the Bills will definitely have to account for and, and come up with a, a plan to stop. What are some of the other strengths, maybe some of the underrated strengths of this football team? Well, I think you got to look at the offensive line. You know, we heard a lot about how Dave Gettleman loves his hog mollies, how he was going to, you know, make over that line. He brought in Kevin Zeitler from the Browns in the Olivier Vernon trade. He uh, signed Mike Remmers, who was with Shermer in Minnesota, to play right tackle. These are two guys that have been there, done that. And as opposed to last year, when they put Eric Flowers at right tackle, who had never really played on the right side and who wasn't very good to begin with, um, and then they brought in, um, you know, like I said, Zeitler for for Patrick Omame, another guy who had played primarily on the left side and who they flipped over to the right side and who struggled. So when we saw in week one, we saw that that offensive line, they they did a pretty good job with pass protection. I mean, you didn't hear Demarcus Lawrence of the Cowboys name a lot. You didn't, you didn't see, you know, a whole lot of sacks and disruptions by the Cowboys. So they held up pretty well. And I, 
you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you mentioned uh, again the the strength of of the Bills being the pass the uh, pass defense, and part of that has to do, I'm sure, with the pass rush and getting pressure and disrupting up front. So I'm really interested to see that uh, the Giants' offensive line against the Bills' defensive front to see if they can continue, you know, holding those guys at bay and limiting the the amount of uh, disruptions that those guys are able to get in the backfield. When you look back on week one against Dallas, is there anything that you learned about the Giants? They don't have a defensive secondary. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that pass defense was was brutal. I mean, you know, going into the game, uh, James Betcher, defensive coordinator, had said that the plan was to alternate DeAndre Baker and um, Antonio Hamilton at cornerback alongside of uh, Janoris Jenkins, who's an established cornerback. And the minute Betcher said that, I said, uh-oh. You know, I said, I said that's not good. Because when usually when, when a coach alternates guys at a starting position, that to me says one guy hasn't stepped out and really locked down that position as his. Now, what further, you know, concerned me is that both Baker and Hamilton missed preseason game time because of injuries. And we went on and we saw that Julian Love, who had played, you know, in the preseason, I don't think he missed any snaps, and Corey Ballantyne, who had also played and hadn't missed any snaps, those guys barely got on the field. And I just didn't understand the logic behind that. And we saw the Cowboys go after that Hamilton and Baker combination over and over and over again with success. There was also some communication issues in the back end of the defense. Again, I, I blame that on the fact that the defense didn't really play together throughout the summer um, because of injuries or coaches' decisions and whatnot. And, you know, the players say, well, you know, we practice it. The communication's fine. You know that practice isn't the same as, you know, game speed. It's a different speed. So just that would probably be my biggest concern is that pass defense on the back end. And and the fact that they weren't able to get a pass rush to help that defense, that that's another concern. So just basically that whole operation is probably my number one concern and where I think the Giants really need to make the biggest jump from week one to week two. Last one for you, Patricia, is if the Giants win this game, it will be because blank. Because Pat Shermer finally woke up and started using Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram down the field more. I mean, look, you, Saquon Barkley, they, they spent a number two overall draft pick on this kid last year. He is the reigning offensive rookie of the year. He is a generational talent. Why wouldn't you want to use him to his fullest strengths? And, you know, Shermer, when the question was brought up to him um, yesterday during his conference call, he basically said, oh, you know, we, we use some, uh, you know, he had X number of snaps, et cetera. The number of snaps wasn't the problem. It was how he was used. You know, you're not taking advantage, again, of, of you know, his ability as a receiver to, to get a one-on-one -on -one matchup with a linebacker or a defensive back where he can win that. You're not taking advantage of, you know, his, his elusiveness in the second level. 
So try using some of that stuff. And the same thing with Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is a tight end, but he's like a wide receiver. You know, what happened to moving this kid around, you know, splitting him out wide? You know, don't don't necessarily limit him to, to inline blocking all the time. Use him. Get him down the field and maybe give yourself a chance to sustain some of these drives and extend them, especially on third down where the Giants didn't, didn't convert their first third down attempt until the third quarter of last week. Appreciate your perspective on this game, and uh, we'll flip it over to the Bills side here in just a minute. But let me ask you this. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't tell you to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you can bet on games after kickoff? By the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose. You can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time to bet of the year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win. You get paid. All right. Joe Marino is with me. He is from Locked On Bills, and we are talking Giants Bills week two, Giant fans. Thanks so much for tuning in. Joe, let's jump right into it. The Bills are coming off uh, an inspiring win, a come-from-behind win against the Jets at MetLife Stadium last week. How do you see that, that euphoria, if you will, carrying over or have the bills kind of moved on from that and, and just are locked in now on what's ahead? You know, I, I think it's a good question. And Sean McDermott is the head coach's football team. You don't worry about things like, will there be some uh, over celebration or loss of focus or anything like that? It was an emotional win. The bills came from 16 down late in the third quarter. They were minus three in turnovers Uh, They had a safety scored against them, a defensive touchdown scored against them, division game on the road. For them to overcome and win that game, I think, is something that I I would look at and identify more as a launch point moving forward and a belief from the locker room in not only Sean McDermott and the message he's been preaching for, you know, over two years now, but also Josh Allen as a team, as a leader of the football team that has put the team on his back and really rallied the troops. And you heard comments all uh, all early this week from from veteran players that are just really commenting on Josh Allen, how they want to go to war with him and that they believe in him and that he never flinched. And so I think it's if anything, it's more of a of a launch point and, and something that can really catapult this team forward to start potentially stacking wins. They they claim the week one road win over the Jets. They've got the Giants this week. They've got the Bengals next week. And so I'm sure the Bills are very focused in on potentially getting to 3-0. and The Bills have the best defensive secondary right now, I think, in the NFL, um, as evidenced by what they would, did against the pass last week. What about the the offense? Where is the strength of that Bills offense right now? To me, what it comes down to offensively for the Bills is how – many things they can throw at you. And I think the identity of the offense is just that Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, is going to give you countless personnel packages, countless formations, and you have to be ready to defend so many different things. And you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, which he has his issues and he has some variance to him, 
but he doesn't have any limitations, right, in terms of physical ability. He can push the ball down the field and challenge the deepest windows of the field, but he can also run the football. The Bills have a good rushing attack, and he's developing those timing routes and really starting to challenge the field in the short and intermediate areas as well. I mean, his average depth of target has really changed from his rookie year going into preseason and what we saw in week one. And so the Bills are going to give you a lot of different personnel groupings, a lot of different formations, and it's going to make it very difficult in terms of preparation. And then you have to be sound with your communication and and uh, and understanding what the Bills are going to try to do and, and be able to take it away. I just feel like there's just so many different ways that this team – can attack you. We saw it for seven, 16 weeks last year. The Bills' different offense would look different all the time. And then you saw last week, they come out and they they ran the ball only three times in the first half, really just relying on Josh Allen to be a, a pocket passer. So there's just so many ways that they can challenge you, and it's, it's uh, good luck coming up with the right plan, and you better be able to adjust. Just to follow up off that, I saw a statistic that last week the Bills got 165 yards out of their 370 total on offense on two drives, both scoring drives. Is there any concern about the fact that they got chunk yardage and not, you know, weren't consistent throughout the, uh, they're showing? Well, I think it's a good point. And four turnovers really plays into that. So you have four drives that, I mean, two that had great momentum in terms of scoring opportunities that were taken away because of a missed exchange on a snap or, uh, off of a, a tip pass that Josh Allen threw and, and you know, it goes to the hands of CJ Mosley or goes in the hands of a different player. So I think it's a fair question, especially because the bills, you know, Josh Allen didn't throw a touchdown pass in the preseason despite moving the ball. So moving the ball hasn't seemed to be the issue. It's, it's been sustaining those drives well enough to not have a turnover or some type of thing, uh, a negative play that creates adversity and, and the bills being able to respond. So yeah, I think it's a concern. I, f- I feel like a lot of that last week, though, was due to turnovers, and hopefully that's a point of emphasis for Josh Allen and the Bills this week, and they don't give the Giants uh, short fields or, or, or take away their own sustained drives. You mentioned Josh Allen, and I want to touch upon the quarterbacks because it's been 16 years since the Giants had a rookie quarterback, and I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten uh, what it's like to have a rookie quarterback going through the, the growing pains and whatnot. This year, as you know, the Giants drafted Daniel Jones, uh, number six overall. He is the quarterback of the future. A lot of fans, a lot of media are calling for Daniel Jones to start. Having gone through that last year with Josh Allen, what are just, in general, generally speaking, some of the growing pains that a team experiences when they put a, a rookie quarterback in regular season game snaps, even if that w- rookie has had a, a strong preseason? Well, they're going to take their lumps. And I think you just have to acknowledge that there's going to be plenty of ups and downs. And the quarterback that they are when they first take the field is not the one that they're going to see forever. You know, ideally, that's as bad as they'll ever be when they first start playing. And so, you know, there's this big expectation, I think, from social media to for these guys to really come out and, you know, be guns blazing from the outset. And the reality is it's a big jump going from the college game to the NFL and playing against NFL defenses and executing an NFL offense. It's, it's a big jump. And so being, being able to recognize that there's going to be growing pains. And I mean, and it's not a, it's not a a game to game thing. It's, it's chunks of games to chunks of games. And when you see your, your shiny new rookie quarterback that your team just invested a top 10 pick in, you live and die throw to throw you. I mean, you really do. It's, it's a, it's a literally a throw to throw up and down 
feeling when watching them play. And what I would encourage every football fan to do is to watch other football games with the same lens that you watch your favorite team. And I think you'll be very surprised how even quarterbacks like Drew Brees and Tom Brady will do things that are questionable and miss throws and understand that when your rookie quarterback misses a throw or they make a questionable decision, that those things happen. Look at Drew Brees on Monday night in the red zone. He rolled out to his right and threw the ball right to Whitney Miss Merciless. If Josh Allen did that or Daniel Jones did that, Twitter would explode. But did they do anything when Drew Brees did it? No. There's just going to be some variance, and you have to let them develop. And everybody wants everything to happen overnight in this microwave society, but it takes time. And uh, be patient, and you have to give them a chance to to fail forward and uh, hope they develop. At, 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 one, at some point, it becomes on them to be able to embrace a growth mindset and develop, and also for the coaching staff to do their part in maximizing their strengths and building the roster around them. Be patient, Joe. That's a new novelty. I don't know. Can people be patient? <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right, Joe, a couple more questions for me about the game. Fill in the blank. The one giant who will give the Bills the biggest fit is blank and why? I mean, it's got to be Saquon Barkley. I know that's a low-hanging fruit, but he's he's such a great talent, right? I mean, the ultimate blend of size, speed, burst, physicality, receiving ability, just dynamic moves in space. I mean, he is the total package. You said it in our first segment about him being a generational talent. I think sometimes that word is is loosely used. It fits for Saquon. He is special. And so I know that there's some concerns about how he's used and those types of things, but just the fact that he touches the football, that's that's enough to get you to, to perk up and be be concerned about what he can do with it. And so uh, the Bills had a really good opportunity to face Le'Veon Bell last week, and not necessarily that they're similar in terms of physical ability, but they're both outstanding backs that the offenses respectively funnel through. And, and so it was a good opportunity for the Bills to face an offense like that, and they'll have their hands full going up against Saquon Barkley. No matter how he's used, he's a dynamic player, and he's going to present a lot of challenges. Now, the Bills are a team that the Giants only see once every four years, so a lot of Giant fans still not as familiar with them as we record this show. You know, there's going to be previews and whatnot, but give us a, a sneak peek. Who's the one player on the Bills, or maybe a couple players if they're, if, if they're applicable, that you feel are the most underrated but yet the most dangerous in terms of matchups against the Giants? Well, with Saquon Barkley being the marquee player for the Giants, you have to look on defense and say, oh, well, who's the matchup neutralizer? And it's Tremaine Edmonds, the, the linebacker, the middle linebacker. The Bills had two first-round picks in 2018. One was Josh Allen. The second one was Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech. I mean, he's 6'5", 250 pounds. He's got long arms, and he runs really fast, 4'5". I mean, he's he's got the range. He's got the size. He's got the physicality, and he's developing the instincts is well to go with his outstanding physical traits. And so despite there being a player like Saquon Barkley, the Bills have quite the the matchup neutralizer, if you will, and Tremaine Edmonds, just one of the most physically gifted defensive players uh, in the league. And he's really kind of coming into his own, and this will be a big task for him. And so 
Uh, that would be a player that I would definitely get familiar with if, if I were Giants fans. And then just the safeties that the Bills have, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, they're a complimentary duo. They can play deep zones. They can come up and play near the line of scrimmage. And uh, the entire Bills secondary, but mostly the safeties, do such a good job of limiting your ability to get pre-snap reads. You've heard Tom Brady talk about Sean McDermott's defense and, and the challenges that it presents in terms of doing that. And, and Adam Gase last week talked about how difficult it was in terms of getting balls and looks down the field because the Bills take away big plays. And so a lot of that is because of those safeties, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Micah Hyde, a pro bowler recently, Jordan Poyer, a guy that, I mean, probably should have been a pro bowler here recently. And and so if you, if, if Giants fans are sleeping on those guys and think, oh, well, Evan Ingram can feast on them. Understand that's one of the best safety duos in the league. Offensively, uh, this this is a, uh, an evolving offense. It's really kind of been fun to watch just because, like I talked about earlier, it can throw so many different things at you. Uh, but John Brown, I mean, seven catches, uh, 123 yards and a touchdown against the, jo- the Jets last uh, last week, and they really had a hard time matching up with him. And uh, Cole Beasley as well. You guys are familiar with him from the Giants, and he'll, he's heavily involved in this offense. And uh, maybe – a lot of people talked about his limited usage in Dallas. Well, that's not the case in Buffalo. He's going to get targets. And so uh, Josh Allen has really been able to expand his ability to test the whole field by having a true vertical threat in John Brown, having an underneath threat in Cole Beasley. And so uh, I would, you might look at, at the bills receivers and say, well, they don't have Julio Jones. They don't have Odell Beckham. They don't have, you know, uh, AJ green, but they have complimentary players and a really good scheme. Joe Marino, it's going to be September 15th, Sunday, 1 p.m., Bills at Giants at MetLife Stadium. Two weeks in a row, the Bills are making the trip down south to MetLife. Going to be a good one, I think. Yeah, and I've seen that happen a couple different times because the AFC East and the NFC East plays – you know, obviously each other this year. And so they stacked up both of the games for the Bills – back to back. And I think the dolphins do the same thing. They go back to back jets and giants. So uh, I think that's, you know, look, it's obviously an advantage for the giants to be at home in front of their fans in the, in the, in the season opener that's, or the home opener. That's going to be a big deal. But I think the familiarity component of this for the bills now, uh, obviously a familiar destination for them, but back to back weeks certainly maybe takes away some of that advantage. Interesting perspective, but it's going to be a good one. You know, with the Giants in desperation mode, even though it's only the second week of the season, got to bounce back from a horrible loss at Dallas. Bills riding high after their comeback win against the Jets. Can't wait, as they say. And that'll do it for this episode of Locked on Giants. Want to thank Chris Carter of Locked on Steelers for coming on the show. Want to thank Joe Marino for the wonderful crossover segment. And I want to thank you for listening. Be sure you tune in the rest of the week. We have plenty more coming up on the Locked on Giants podcast. This is Patricia Train. I'm wishing you a good day.